last week we began a sermon series on the Gospel of John in John 1, 1 to 14. Today we continue that series and we look at not only what John the Gospel writer has to say about him, but how John the Baptist then revealed and pointed the way to Jesus. I invite you to have your bulletin insert out this morning too as we get into God's Word together. Continuing on the gospel, John 1, verses 15 to 28. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. No, finally they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees have been sent and they questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As I said last week, we began this series that we have entitled The Adventure, wanting to envision our discipleship process, our growth in relationship to Jesus, more and more as an adventure or journey of faith. When we invite people in our mission to discover, follow, love, and share Jesus, we see that as an invitation that is not static It's not an invitation we just passively receive. It's not that we accept Jesus into our heart and our life and we've got our ticket to heaven and all things are good and there's nothing else to do while on earth. We just await his return. No, we see our response to Jesus as active. If it's an invitation to Jesus, then that means it's an invitation that has to be welcomed or received, an invitation that we explore the relational dimensions of. And one of the central ways that we believe that adventure is embarked on or experienced, we are practicing today. And that is that we invite people to discover Jesus by gathering for worship. I want to mention two quick changes or slight adjustments to our mission and vision. The one is that we spoke to last week. We now invite people to Jesus by grasping the truth of God's word. We believe as a church that we need to get God's word upstream, so to speak, of all the dialogue on social media and political fighting and arguments taking place in our culture. We want to get God's word in people's hearts and minds earlier than that. So it becomes the lens through which we we look at and discern the rest of everything we hear and receive, all the other messages that come through. But we also 
want to invite people to discover Jesus by gathering for worship. It used to say in worship. Why is this important that we make this change? Because worship is something we can experience in many different places and ways. Personal worship, worship in our growth groups, worship in uh, Sunday morning celebrations. Worship happens whenever we gather for worship, not just in worship in our sanctuary. And worship is a dimension and relationship with God that we are meant to celebrate as an attitude of the heart. Today's passage really shows us why we worship. John the Baptist is going to say, I'm not the one to worship. He's saying, this is the one to worship. He's here and he's coming and I'm going to tell you about him. And we need to recognize why we worship. Not just show up on a Sunday morning and go through the routine, the rituals, but to worship because of who Jesus is. William Barclay defined worship this way. He said, the true, the genuine worship is when man, through his spirit, attains to the friendship and intimacy with God. True and genuine worship is not to come to a certain place like our beautiful sanctuary. It's not to go through certain ritual or liturgy. It is not even to bring certain gifts, though we love when you give your tithes and offerings. True worship is when the spirit, the immortal and invisible part of man, speaks to and meets with God, who is immortal, invisible. When I heard that definition, of course, I thought of the hymn. Immortal, invisible, God only wise. In light, inexpressible, he's hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days. Almighty, victorious, his great name we praise. Amen? To understand worship is to understand that it is the truest part of our nature. We were made for worship. And when we don't accept that invitation and worship Jesus, we're missing out on the very purpose for which we were created. William Temple also gives an amazing definition of worship in his book, Nature, Man, and God. He says, worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of our conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of the mind by his truth, the purifying of our imagination by his beauty, the opening of our heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, and all this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable, and therefore the chief remedy of that self-centeredness which is our original sin and the source of all actual or willful sins. You see, worship is about moving ourselves off the throne and putting Jesus on it. It's acknowledging that we are not God and we are never going to reach the perfection of God. We need to move ourselves off of that central, self-centered kind of place and put Jesus there. If we look at that definition of William Temple more deeply, we can see that the parts make up the whole. To paraphrase it with my own thoughts, it is worship is our awareness that is refreshed by God's constant presence through his Holy Spirit. It's when our minds are fed on the teachings of Jesus and the narrative of the scriptures. We can only imagine God's beauty through his attributes revealed in Jesus and the Spirit. But God's love can be poured into our hearts. And as we open our heart, we are transformed and changed by him. This will produce a willingness to devote ourselves to God's purposes, which is the building up of the kingdom and the making of disciples and the practical expression of our worship. 
You see, worship isn't just the songs that we sing. Worship is the way we live our lives and place our lives on the altar and, and be a living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to God, as it talks about in Romans 12. When we worship, we're acknowledging who God is, and we're also acknowledging who we are as sinners in need of a Savior. And I love the way John the Baptist depicts this. You see, in light of the grand miracle of Jesus' incarnation, of his coming and dwelling among us, John witnessed to who Jesus was through God's divine intervention and being Jesus' cousin, which is a very interesting dynamic, John the Baptist being Jesus' cousin, But John was quick to say when the Pharisees sent out the the teachers of the law and they came and they investigated him, they asked him, are you the Christ? I mean, John had this great following. People were responding to his teaching. John could have gotten a big head and said, I am the man. But he said, instead, he clearly said, I am not the man, but I know the man. And he's come. He's living among you. You haven't discerned it yet. But he's the one and only, sent from the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm not the one to be worshipped, John is saying. But the one to be worshipped is here. And he's moving among you. And you can know him. And you can worship him. So what we want to see in this passage is this. Uh, We can discover Jesus and why he's worthy of our worship through John and through John's witness. And what I want you to see through these words here is how active that is and how ongoing it is. Notice there's six different verbs here, and all of them are in the active tense. John testifies, he cries out, there's a a testimony, a living, ongoing testimony to Jesus through John. John confessed, he was not the Christ, but Jesus is. He replied to them when they asked him who he was, and he pointed to Jesus, and ultimately, John describes himself as the one who was in the desert and called out, was calling out, prepare the way for the Lord. So here in the narrative, which follows the prologue, which has already told us amazing things about Jesus. I mean, last week we learned that the word uh, was in the beginning with God. He was with God and he was God and through whom him all things were created. And now John comes and his testimony is to Jesus. It's like John's painting a picture or a portrait and you're seeing Jesus more, more fully described. We've all seen those those pictures where it's like two different things are being expressed in the same picture, right? And and some people see one thing and some people see another. And John is basically saying, what I want you to see is, is, is not a double image. I don't want you to be confused. I want you to clearly see Jesus. It is a present tense. John bears witness to Jesus as the one we are to worship. So John, like the Old Testament, is a consistent and ongoing witness to who Jesus is. So it's not just that John said one day, Jesus is the guy, he's the Messiah, you should worship him. John had this ongoing testimony to Jesus, and as we're going to see next week, he actually told his discipleship, disciples to stop following him and to go and follow Jesus as the Lamb of God. But now, because of the Scriptures... We have the ongoing witness of John to Jesus. And and basically all four Gospels show us that in some way you have to go through John's witness to get to Jesus. Because John was the one who prepared the way for Jesus. 
If we think about it being like a trail map, and, and we're going to be depicting our discipleship process like a trail map. Think of, um, for instance, when I go for a hike at Hirschman's Pond, I park my car, I walk up, and there's a little, there's a little map, and it tells you, okay, here's the way to get around the lake, here's the other trails you might want to follow. We want to see the Bible, God's Word, as, as our trail map, and we want to think about being guided. And in this image, let's think about this, as we're beginning our walk on a trail, and we're going towards Jesus in this metaphor, we see a picture, a a person, and he's got a friendly face, he's got crazy hair and a big beard, he ate honey, and and, and wild locusts, we're told, but this crazy guy, who turns out to be a friend, turns and looks, and instead of saying, follow me, he points the way up the trail. He isn't the man we want. But his job is to point us to the man we want. He is, in John's language, giving evidence to the light. John the Baptist is pointing us to Jesus. And if we are to meet the word of God, again, all four Gospels suggest that we do well by beginning with John the Baptist who points to Jesus as the one we are to worship. With the verbs being all in the present tense, they're having ongoing significance. John's witness continues to witness to Jesus today. His calling in his life was to point the way to God. This was true even when before John was born. Recall that an angel appeared to John's father, Zechariah, and he said, your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He, John, will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You see, John's mission was to give testimony to Christ. He was Christ's first and most important witness. And the amazing thing is how he disavowed any personal status and constantly pointed the way to Jesus. John's testimony to Jesus obviously was given by God. I mean, John knew who Jesus was in a supernatural way. God had clearly revealed to John the person and the character of Jesus so that John would testify and even cry out who Jesus was. That cry was public. It's like going downtown Grass Valley in Nevada City and just yelling out, Jesus is the one. And you can know him. You can experience relationship with him. Or think about it this way. Being on a busy street here, our street corner is one that, that is often passed by. I mean, I kind of, I think it's funny when people talk about traffic in our area because I grew up in Cupertino. I mean, it was two blocks away from where Apple now sits. I mean, I knew traffic growing up as, I was, as that community was developing. Friends, the joy of living in Nevada County is we don't have traffic. This is not traffic. But we might say we live on a trafficked or heavily trafficked corner. And what we most often hear is sirens, right? The sirens of EMTs, ambulances, and a lot of fire trucks going to respond to these fires. And I want you to think about being this busy street corner for us in our area, busy. But thinking about when we hear those sirens and, 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 it, and we hear it above the din of the other traffic and other things going on. And John, like that, 
is presenting a warning. About three weeks ago, I told you, uh, two weeks ago, we came home. Uh, there was a fire in Empire Mine, about probably 500 yards from our house. And we heard that high-low siren as it went by. And it was an alarm. It was a warning. There is danger nearby. And John essentially is, is like a high-low warning in his witness. He, he's, he's wanting to cry out, like, this is something for you to pay attention to. And we could actually say, this is a thing you most need to pay attention to. God has come. The word has become flesh and made his dwelling among us. The one and only has come and is living. And you need to respond to him. You need to attend to him. John's crying out for Jesus was a way of him saying, like, I'm in second. I'm second. Jesus is first. John is saying, I'm not the one to be worshipped. And in our culture today, too, people are most often worshiping themselves. Not any other God other than elevating themselves to that place of God. And what John does is step back and say, I am not the one to be worshipped, but Jesus is. He makes himself second in that imagery. And, we, and his witness then has ongoing impact to Jesus. And isn't that what we hope for? We want our witness to Christ to lead other people to discover Jesus and worship him. You see, in our mission and vision, we invite people to share Jesus by going out into our neighborhood and beyond to reflect the good news so that people will accept the invitation to discover Jesus by grasping the truth of God's word and gathering for worship. I remember several years ago now, probably eight years ago, I had been here just a year or so, um, or two, and uh, we as a church hosted the Perspectives class. It's a, it's a class on global mission. And I remember going into that class and thinking, you know, the, the height of our discipleship process is that we would share Jesus, that we would be active in evangelism out in the community. And I remember having my perspective changed through that course. And they said, no, you know, the, the ultimate goal is that those people that aren't presently worshiping Jesus would be worshiping Jesus. You know, there are people out there that God wants to be worshipers of him, of Jesus, and they're not currently worshiping Jesus. So the end goal is not that I witness to Jesus or share Jesus or reflect Jesus. The end goal is through that worship, witness, reflection, people come to worship God for themselves. Because what does God want? He wants worshipers. And we get to tell the story of Jesus and point the way to Jesus like John does here so that other people will come to worship Jesus for themselves. John becomes what might be called a a forerunner, one who goes ahead of Jesus and clears the way for Jesus so that people can come to see him and accept him. Every Saturday, I help out with a cross-country race as a coach at Nevada Union. And for one of Josh's races, I see a great metaphor for this. In any one of these cross-country races, there's what's called a rabbit. And the rabbit is either somebody who runs ahead or rides his bike ahead of the other runners. And they typically call out, there's runners, clear the course. And people that are kind of standing around, looking around, sometimes they're standing right in the middle of the course, all of a sudden are alerted that there are people coming that they need to pay attention to, and they need to clear the way so that those runners can come through. Well, John, the Baptist, is like the ultimate rabbit in a cross-country race, clearing the way, clearing the course so that people can see Jesus and, and point the way to Jesus, and Jesus can advance into people's hearts and lives. John is clear. He's not the 
the one to worship. He's not the one to look at. But he wants to clear the way to the one to worship and look at. And that is Jesus. And he goes on to help us discover Jesus and why Jesus is worthy of our worship by what he says about him. And, and we've already heard a lot in the first 14 verses of John, but now we hear even more. John says, he is the one, he is the one who is before me. He has come after me, but, but he was before me. What John is saying is that Jesus pre-existed with the Father before his earthly birth. In John's society, in Jesus' society, you know, the older were always sort of seen as superior than the younger. We can learn a lot about this in our society today. And so John would be seen as the more privileged or honored one because he was older than Jesus. But John's saying, I'm not the one to be honored. Jesus is because he actually existed before his earthly birth. He was, the one who came after me was before me because of Jesus' preexistence with the Father. John is saying, Jesus was before me. Jesus was at the very beginning, even before the beginning. He was with God and he was God before creation came into being. Jesus is the one to be worshipped because he was before all things. Before John, before us, before anything else in creation, the word of God, Jesus, existed. And then we're told that Jesus was full of grace and truth. That in, in Jesus' fullness, we are to worship him. One of the audiences for John's gospel was actually people known as the Gnostics. And Gnostics basically just pursued knowledge. And they basically thought the more knowledge you obtained, the more you, know, you could get closer to experience salvation. That we just needed to know more, and then we were going to be okay. And they actually believed that the knowledge of various gods and the, the breadth of different gods that existed would help you on your way to God. And what John says, in contrast to the Gnostics' pursuit of knowledge, is the knowledge you're seeking, the salvation you're seeking through knowledge, actually comes through a person, the word, not the words, and that word existed before all time, and you can actually know him. So John is countering those people that just think, you know, uh, like uh, people that that are agnostic today, like you can't just know so much and, you know, that kind of thing. Like Gnostics, in contrast, thought you could know your way to God. And he's saying you can't know your way to God, but you can know God who took on flesh and who's living among us and has revealed God to you. And you can receive him and you can welcome him and you can be in relationship with him. And the good news of that one who was with God before all time and who is full of grace and truth, in other words, it's never going to run out, is that that God is the one and only Son. He was with God before all time. He existed in loving relationship with God. And he now uniquely reveals God. Somebody actually said that Jesus in his fullness is, is the expression of God. He, 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 he declares God. He explains God to us in the way he lives. But he also shows us the character of God. You see, God has always been full of grace and truth throughout, throughout all time. That's part of his nature. And we need to remember that there was grace received through the law. Because the law shows us that we need God. And there's grace in revealing to us the fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And so it's not just that, that grace came into being when Jesus came. 
No, remember, God revealed himself to Moses. He said, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. Okay, he's full of steadfast love. That's who God has always been. And God revealed himself in his grace through Moses by showing us that we're sinners. We're never going to meet the law and we need a savior. And now grace upon grace or grace in replace of grace comes in Jesus. In other words, the fullness of God's grace is revealed now in Christ. The law showed us we need grace and now grace comes in the person of Jesus. And why he's worthy of our worship is he came as our savior and he revealed the fullness of of God's grace and truth. In the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. And we're going to kind of be wrapping up the message today in a more interactive way. And, and I want to just even pause and as we're thinking about discovering Jesus in worship, when, when it says in the text, we've all received one blessing after another as a result of Jesus' grace, I want to just pause and take a moment for you to respond to that question. What is one blessing you have received as a result of God's grace? And this is popcorn style, friends. Whatever you think of, share it with us. Praise God. Children. Praise God, Joe. You're right. Your life. You have life and breath. What was that? Charlie? We'll keep moving on. Thank you, little brother. Healing. Christian parents. Greg Flagg. Get to celebrate Greg today in our congregational meeting. Yeah. Freedom. We have freedom in our nation to worship God. Bob? Second chances. Praise the Lord for second chances. Absolutely. Yeah, Charlie? Scripture, we have God's word. Inspire us, lead us, speak to us. Hope, we have hope. We are people who live with hope. We don't, acknowledge, we don't deny that things are hard or difficult, but we live as people of hope. Peace, wonderful church to attend. Thank you, Laird. We have blessing upon blessing. God's grace is poured out to us in Jesus, not just in our eternal salvation, but in that continued reality. And, the, and I think one of the greatest blessings is the intimacy we can have with God because of the intimacy that was within God. When it says that we've all received you know, one blessing after another because of his grace, it says, you know, and, and the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. And that phrase, at the Father's side, isn't, doesn't quite capture it. In the Greek, it actually says, who is in the bosom of the Father. Jesus was in the bosom of the Father. He was, he was intimately like in the Father's embrace. There was such intimacy and connectedness there. There was ultimate attachment because Jesus and the Father shared the same nature of God. And that nature then is revealed through Jesus. Uh, one of the things I've shared about Josh before uh, was he was only three pounds, three ounces when he was born. He was born at 29 weeks, and he had to spend another five or six weeks in the hospital just putting on some pounds. So he got up to five pounds woo, before he came home. So now when I watch him run a sub-five-minute mile and do these insane things that none of us, you know, many of us would be able to do, I'm like, I remember when you were this little guy. 
three pounds, three ounces. And what we would do, because we couldn't yet bring him home, was they actually would tell me to show up in the neonatal intensive care unit and take off your shirt and just sit there without a shirt because you wanted this skin-to-skin time. You wanted that, that little kid to know how loved they were by their mom, by their dad. And, and I would just hold him in my bosom, hold him in my embrace. Couldn't take him home yet, but I wanted him to know. So for an hour or two every day while he was in the NICU, I would just hold him skin to skin, in this intimate embrace with my son. And the Father in heaven with Jesus, much more intimate, eternal, always existing, embrace within God's self. It's that God who has now made himself known through Jesus. He's explained God. He's come and shared about God. He's come and revealed God in such a way that we can see him and know him. And in the other interactive part of this message here, I, we're going to kind of start to close with. And that was a, a question that I was thinking about. If, 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 God, if Jesus is the one and only who is at the Father's side and has made him known, what I want you to consider for, for, for a moment, first in writing, okay, so get those sheets of paper out, the bulletin insert, and then through expressing in a moment, I want you to think about this question for a minute. And the question is this, if Jesus is the one and only who is at the Father's side and has made him known, the question is, what would we not know if Jesus never came? Okay, I want you to just prayerfully, we're going to take a minute here and just prayerfully consider, what would we not know if Jesus never came? I'm going to give you a minute to consider that question. I'm going to get us started by things I've thought about that we would not know if Jesus never came. And then I'm going to invite us to share together the things that God brings to mind for us. So one minute, considering the question and perhaps writing down a few thoughts, what would we not know if Jesus never came? That question's up on the screen, too, if you need to hear it again. Before we begin, I just want to connect with those online too. Um, I would love, if you're online with us today, I would love for you to put in the chat, what would we not know if Jesus had never come? And share with us your ideas, because we want to include you today uh, online. If you're home, uh, what would we not know if Jesus had never come? I would invite you to put that into the chat so we can benefit from that. All right, I'm going to get us started, but I'm going to invite you to continue, just popcorn style. If Jesus had never come, we would not know that God is relational, a trinity at the very core of his being. We would not know the thoroughness of his redemptive, rescuing plan for us. 
We would not know how to make sense of the Old Testament because the prophecies of the Old Testament, and really the whole Old Testament, points the way to Jesus and does not make sense without Jesus. We would not understand the fatherly love of God in relation to Jesus the Son and us and experience the kindness, warmth, and fatherly love, qualities, and characteristics of God. If Jesus had not come, we would not know the humanness of God, that he would take on flesh and dwell among us, and that he understands. We would not know the meaning and depth of sacrificial love. We would not know the possibility of forgiveness and no forgiveness. If Jesus had not come, we would not know God's relatability. God is Emmanuel. He is God with us. If Jesus had not come, we wouldn't know the hope of eternal life as a result of Jesus' resurrection and the resurrection from the dead that we anticipate ourselves. Let's continue. If Jesus had not come, we would not know true meaning and power of love. How personal he is. Salvation. Eternity. Yep. Good. Good, Charlie. Yep. Peace with God. We wouldn't know peace with God. Forgiveness. True life. Ron? Lord's Prayer. We wouldn't know the Lord's Prayer. We wouldn't have heard it through Jesus. We wouldn't have that prayer to guide us. Awesome. Bob? We wouldn't know purpose. We wouldn't have the meaning and purpose that we now have in life. Christmas is Easter. We got reasons to party and celebrate. John? One more? Freedom of forgiveness. Not only that we're forgiven, but we're free as a result. Yeah. We wouldn't know the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit emanates, comes out, you know, from the Father and the Son. Be eternal life. Christian fellowship. We wouldn't have reason to meet and gather. Nope. Music. We wouldn't have the songs that we sing. Connection with God through prayer. I want this to be a start for you, and my hope for you is that you would continue this exercise this week, maybe sometime this afternoon or another time of quiet. Consider, keep considering, we would not, if Jesus had not come, we would not know. And then think about your own role in all this. The Pharisees wanted to teach in such a way that separated them out from people. The name Pharisee actually means separate ones. They came and they questioned John. But John pointed the way to Jesus, right? And he pointed the way to Jesus who was not the separate one. He was the connected one, the word who became flesh and dwelled among us so that we could know connection with God. In contrast, the Pharisees being separate ones, knowledge-based, but didn't know relationship with God in its depth, Jesus comes and reveals the nature and purpose of God to connect with you. Now, like like John the Baptist, we have a role to play. And we can discover more about Jesus when we make straight the way for the Lord. Guess what? You're the rabbit in the cross-country race. You're meant to go out in your neighborhood today and clear the way so people can accept and know Jesus. And John baptized. And if we get to celebrate baptisms like we did for two young, beautiful girls a few weeks ago, baptism, that sign and celebration of people's acceptance of Jesus. And finally, we get to worship him in wonder and humility. And that's ultimately what John did. He said, I am not even worthy to untie this guy's shoes because he's worthy of all glory, honor, and power, and praise. And friends, that's why we're here discover more and more about Jesus, to grow in our love for him, 
It happens when we gather for worship, but it's also meant to happen as we go out and we share about him in the world. Amen?